mentioned earlier, Stacy said get some popcorn. Popcorn has probably been good at this time, but make sure you have your coffee near to you because we're about to go on our third week with Divorce Proof Your Marriage. This is important because we have just had the first two weeks of our five-week series on marriage, but we also just had this past weekend our marriage conference, and it was a great hit. A lot of couples were here, and we were excited about being able to minister to them through Phil Gungard and through Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. So as we continue on in this series, we wanted to just remind you of how important it is for us as a church to stand on what marriage is. And marriage is vital to us. So one of the things that we as Grace Church, Waldorf, believe is that the term marriage has one, one only one meaning. The uniting of one man and one woman in a single exclusive union as presented in Scripture. Genesis 2, 24 and 25 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So this union is formed in a civil and religious manner consummated through sexual intimacy. And we believe it is a covenant established by God to reflect his glory, represent Christ's love for the church, and offer hope to a world that needs love and the salvation of Jesus Christ. So this is vital for us as a church, and we want to make sure that we stand strong on a great foundation of what God has established as the family unit as marriage. So we've been going through a book called Divorce Proof Your Marriage, just some highlights on it. And we were talking about this mountain that has descended where we started as a dream. When you first got married, it was a dream. You remembered that day, especially a woman. She remembers that day vitally important to her as well as men. It's important to us, but sometimes all we have to do is get the tux, get all the guys together, and then the, and then the wife and the mother-in-law, they get together and put all the plans together. But it was a dream. And we know that on this particular mountain, as they call the marriage map, it's a dream that starts, but what happens is the next step that descends down is when you're in this marriage and you realize that your spouse has flaws and imperfections. And so now it becomes disappointing. And then from disappointment, it leads to discouragement. And then from discouragement, what happens when it piles up, it begins to create this distance between you and your spouse. And through distance and disconnect is where we would find out that then affairs begin to happen, emotional affairs, even physical affairs. And then as that happens, and the disconnect happens, and this one spouse, the husband goes his way, and the wife goes her way with friends and with hobbies, then the disconnect turns into discord where there is no intimacy. And then with the intimacy not happening, it then falls into a ditch to destruction, which we would call emotional divorce. And so when you're descending down from the dream all the way down to emotional divorce, is there hope again? Is it possible? 
is it possible to go back up the other side of the mountain? And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about that, forgiving love. We were talking in the first week. It's a choice. It's a process. You got to practice it, but it's a choice because God has given us his love through Jesus Christ the forgiveness of sin. And then we talked last week about serving love and the importance of us serving our spouses, understanding the different needs of our spouses. And when we know that need meeting love, we can try to communicate that and meet that need. And there's another stage that we're not going to talk about this week. It's called persevering love because you want to persevere through difficult times in the midst of marriage. But this week, we're going to talk about guarding love. And we entitled this week, Guarding Love, Build a Castle. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute, we mean build a castle. We'll talk about that for just a minute. I have a story to share with you from the book. And I found it to be quite interesting because it involved a woman by the name of Michelle. And she, she stated this. She was working alongside with Gary and Barbara Roseberg, and she mentioned this. She said, uh, Michelle went on with a letter to Barb, and she says, I'd, I'd be the last one you would suspect to have an affair. I was a pure woman. My eyes never looked at any other man. And as she continued on to this sad story, she said, I, I helped lead a Bible study for a woman facing marital struggles. I saw this this woman through pain and their marriages and even separations, but I was different. I was faithful and true. When we finally purchased a computer, I found that the internet contained so many interesting places. I could look up vacation spots, read newspapers. There were good things, nothing evil. I never realized that I was only one click away from destruction. One day I signed up for a chat room. I chose a clean one, not a porn room. I wanted to just go in and see what was going on. Almost immediately, a man began talking to me. He paid attention to me. He had an insightful response to every word I wrote. I continued to meet the man in that chat room, even though I know it was wrong. The relationship seemed innocent. We just talked about family and life. Soon, we progressed to the phone calls. I loved communicating with him. He cared so much. At some time, we decided to meet. And we were in love. And so we thought. After telling my husband I was meeting some girlfriends, I took off and hooked up with this man for I thought would be a romantic weekend getaway. And it wasn't at all what I expected. And suddenly, everything came crashing down. I had betrayed my husband and my family. My careless involvement with the internet nearly destroyed my marriage. I became addicted and eventually led to an affair. I have regretted the day when, with one click on the mouse, I entered a downward spiral of sin and deception. I failed to build a fence of protection around my marriage. I didn't guard my heart. Now, there are many that unfortunately get caught up in these particular affairs. And they com- communicate and convince themselves that it's okay to have an, an affair, even if it's emotional, as long as it's not physical. But the problem is, what Michelle did is what many are doing today. They're not guarding their heart. They're not guarding love. And when we identify love today, we're not saying simply it's the marriage. We believe as Christians, if we are a marriage, 
that is bound in Christ, the love is always established and founded in Jesus Christ. And then when that love is established in Christ, then we are established as a husband and wife upon that. And through that, now we have to guard the love that God has established through us. So I've said in the last couple of weeks, say that marriage is that triangle where two individuals on each side are looking to God who's on top. And when we do, when we are spouses who are looking to God, the bottom of the foundation is strong. But if we're not, it just all collapses. And that's what happened with Michelle. She just was one click away from destruction. So it's important for us to understand. So as we have a definition here today, we're saying guarding love means to purposely place a protective shield around the center of your life. Now, you might ask the question, what is the center of one's life? Well, I think it's the heart. I think the heart is the core of who we are. In our present culture, we often think it's just the mind, but it's the heart. And with the heart, we have to understand, too, that even in the Hebrew, we understand of it being that an organ in our body where the blood is pumping, an organ buried up in our chest. But in a metaphorical use, however, heart refers to the inner material man, the immaterial man, and the inner man, encompassing emotion, conscious, thought, and will. See, the heart is the entrance of your emotions and relationships. It is where we feel deep joy and deep pain. It is the center of the being. That's what we say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's the the middle of the part. That's the center. And we understand that where the heart of your life is, the center, then everything else will lead. Your mouth, your mind, your hands, your feet. Even Proverbs chapter 4, 24 through 27 follows up. On that, Because as we look at this particular verse here, chapter 4, Proverbs, verse 23, Solomon is saying, keep your heart, guard your heart with all vigilance. Meaning that that guarding is that if your heart is the source of all things, the source of life, we're to guard that. Now, what is that source? What does that mean? When the Hebrew means this, it means the outgoings, the extremities. And what it does, it's, it's likened to a well. Like you'll see in the NIV, it says the spring well of life. Well, here in this particular setting, you'll see sources. You'll see in, the, in ESV is springs of life. An artisan well is simply a well that doesn't require a pump to bring water to the surface. This occurs when there is enough pressure in the aquifer. And the pressure forces the water to the surface without any sort of assistance. So it's important to understand that when a well is good, then the drinking water is good. But if the well is contaminated by poisons or parasites, then the well offers water that can destroy, destruct, and damage your life and the life of others. So what it says is that if the heart is our source then our source will affect others. So if our heart is full of poisons and contaminants, then it's going to affect others around us. And that's why it's important for us to understand and gather. That's why it's important for us to guard the heart. The word keep or guard means to protect, 
to have custody, watch, look over. That's what it means in the Hebrew. It actually means literally more than all guarding. It's, it's watchfulness. It's intentionality. It's saying, I'm going to preserve what I have here. So if we believe that Jesus Christ is in our heart, residing in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we want to guard it well. We don't want contaminants and poisons and parasites to enter in. And that's why we want to see that the life of Michelle reminds us that when a heart is left unprotected, then our marriages are going to also become a part of, dis- of destruction. And it's important for us to gather on, and we have to be intentional. We have to be purposeful to guard our spouses, to guard our hearts. And that's why we come in with this concept of castles. Castles were built years and years ago for many reasons. And we would understand that the castles would be built for um, protecting a family uh, and the staff. We would understand that when the castles were built, uh, they would have staffs like you would have the Lord and his families, the knights, the, the squires, men's at arms, a porter who kept the outer door, and the watchman. There were ministerial and domestic staff, servants, and a steward who administered the estate. And so it's important to understand that when you build a castle, you build it for the sake of protecting the castle. It's important to gather. It's important to understand that that's what we're, we're dealing with here. But also, too, what we have to understand is that it was a place for positioning themselves well against their enemies. When they would build a castle, it would be high up on top so they could look down to make sure if there were any intruders, anybody was coming. And so they would position themselves well for watching and making sure they were protected well. Third, it was preparation for an attack. So they would prepare themselves for their enemies that would possibly come. Now, what kind of attacks did they have? Well, they had, they had, there are two ways in which you can attack a castle. One is called the frontal attack. Okay, And the frontal attack is, as the book would even identify, the attackers marched up in plain sight, started ha- hammering away with catapults, battering rams, What they would do is flaming arrows and and multitudes of invaders scrambling up long ladders. The head-on approach was an attack, an attempt to break into the castle at brute force. But then you have another one. It's called the sneak attack. A few attackers would try to slip into the castle undetected by night over the wall through an underground passageway or other means. Once inside, the infiltrators could disarm the guards and throw open the castle gates. For the army concealed outside, and the castle would fall from within. So what are those frontal assaults today in our culture? What are some of the things that we are challenged with? What are some of the things in which we have to be aware of? Well, we have to think of media. Sometimes when you're in this type of setting and context and the unrest that's happening around us right now, sometimes we can watch the media and become panicked overly panicked by just watching the media too much. Sometimes it can just be a TV show. Sometimes we get so caught up in a TV show that we think we can actually live in that context, in the TV show, in the plot, that we become part of that family, that we actually live in it. Sometimes that happens. Music lyrics, internet, sexual impurity, marital infidelity is encouraged in shows and movies that we watch. 
And so it's, an, it's important to understand that this could be a frontal attack that we don't even realize because our minds are desensitized by it. When it comes against us, we're not even thinking about it because we watch it and we look at it and we just become mesmerized with it. And we don't realize that if we're about sexual purity and abstinence and it's always discouraged amongst Christians and amongst people who are even in marriage, we have to know that that's a frontal attack. But who are the intruders? that are attacking your heart, your mind, and your soul. Who are these intruders? Well, for the wife, it could be this. Are you allowing certain shows to consume you when you're watching TV? You're overwhelmed? Let's think about it. Chick flicks, great for the wife. I mean, it's awesome. Romance is on her mind. She falls in love with the story. Um, The typical prince and princess storyline The man is portrayed as a sensitive, caring, and understanding man. He becomes the woman's dream. Wife, you have longed for your husband to be like this actor in the story. You're just hoping that your husband would come home and he would be that actor that walks in. You're watching it. You're mesmerized by it. You're consumed with it. And then all of a sudden, your husband walks in and says, oh, it's just him. Oh, man. And all of a sudden, you realize that this man who you were hoping would be, the one who walks in would be the man who's the actor, is no longer that person. Your dream has died right when he walked in. (laughs) And so all of a sudden now you want this man. And I know it's a Hallmark movie. We heard it the other day. Often we hear about these Hallmark movies. My wife loves Hallmark movies. And when she's watching them, I I agreed with Phil the other day. She has a TV on. Now she doesn't have all the TVs on. But can you imagine missing a part when she's sitting there watching them? And it's just a storyline that goes over and over and over again. But as beautiful and innocent as it is. Sometimes that could even be a frontal or sneak attack because we don't realize that our minds are changing and we get caught up in these romance novels, these romance movies. Husband, you notice your wife has gained a couple of pounds. She's a little older. She spends all her time with the kids. She becomes moody, ungrateful for your hard work, doesn't make you, your, you the meal with love and care. Says, oh, I don't know. I wouldn't have time today. Just go find something to eat. And then all of a sudden, you get home, and you notice she doesn't prepare that dinner, the one that you feel cared and loved about. You get home, you're like, wow. In some way, you won't express it or communicate it, but you start to think, feeling a little bit abandoned here. The kids are eat, eating well, but I'm coming home and I have to get the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So now all of a sudden, it's like you're feeling unappreciated and unloved. You look for love in the wrong places. You look to find pleasure in something else. Well, you begin to watch TV, you notice attractive women on certain shows and you find pleasure in it. Here's the sneak attack. You begin this pattern for months and it turns out after a few months, you find yourself looking at movies that you shouldn't be looking at. You start watching things on the internet you shouldn't be looking at. It's subtle. The sneak attack comes. Satan does that in our marriages. He comes with those sneak attacks. Maybe he doesn't come with a frontal assault, but he comes as an enemy trying. If you don't guard your heart, if you don't have that castle around your heart, you're not going to know that he's coming in. Because if you become desensitized to all the things around you, you don't even know it's an attack. And that's why it's important for us to guard our hearts, because when unguarded and unprotected, it leads to the fact that maybe it's possible that you and I, as spouses, are ultimately becoming unfaithful to our spouse and we don't even know it. And when we're becoming unfaithful to our spouse, 
it's not often an unprecedented event. It's a slow process. It becomes a pattern of life. And then all of a sudden it leads to apathy, apathy with our relationship with God, apathy in our marriage. And see, when I, when I was talking about the intruder, what happens is when we become apathetic, God becomes the intruder in our hearts. We close him out. We're afraid that if, if he comes in, he's going to cause pain and tell us to change. And we don't like pain. We love joy. We love joy in that heart place, in that position in the center of our lives where we don't like pain. And we know if God has to enter in, now God has to change us. But then we look at our spouses and we say they're an intruder as well. You ever notice that? That sometimes you don't want to hear it. Husband, you don't want to hear it. <laughs> and you feel like they're intruding on your time. Wife, you don't want to hear it again. The excuses that they're not loving you or giving you an attention or anything like that. They become that intruder. So we have to build a castle around our hearts. We have to build that castle. That, and it requires a couple of things. One is preparation. One is preparation. And I'm going to share this with you to kind of give you that understanding of, in a negative sense, but just follow me on this. Don't be proud. Don't be like Michelle who says, I was a pure woman. I could never do that. If you picked out five million people, I wouldn't have been one of them. I have friends who have fallen in the ministry. If, they, if I lined up ten men, some of my friends who have fallen, I would have never even considered one of those ten being the one that had fallen. And sometimes we get proud. See, what pride does, we understand what the scripture says in Proverbs 16, 18, and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than divide the spoil with the proud. See, pride, being proud, is rebellion against God. It's one who's overbearing, saying, God, I really don't need you right now. I got this. Don't need your help. It's saying, God, I've got the strength to do this. When I need you, I'll call on you. And see, we're not guarded. We're not guarded well. That's an unguarded heart. It's important for us to recognize that God didn't call us to that. See, we can't get caught off guard. <laughs> when we do, it's pride. What happens is, what we're saying to God is, we think too much of ourselves and not enough about God. And not enough about needing him. So it's important for us not to be proud too. Don't follow your heart. Now you might say, wait a minute, Bruno, I hear that often. I mean, I've got to follow my heart on this one. Be careful. Because the Bible tells us very clearly that we're not to do that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So it's important to prepare yourself in knowing don't follow your heart. Why? Because the heart won't set you free, but the truth of the word of God will. And so it's important to understand that when you're following your heart, always line it up with the truth. And when you look to the truth, know that the truth will set you free from your struggle and your difficulty. So when you're building a castle, be careful that your heart is not leading it. It's the word of God that's leading it. It's God who's leading it. Two, you want to be in position. You want to be positioned. And how do you position yourself? Well, now we're going to go on the positive end. You want to be humble. Now, 
it's good to be humble, but you got to be careful because when you're too humble, then you can be proud. So you don't want to be too proud. You want to be humble, but being humble is not easy. It's positive, but not easy. And it's challenging sometimes because humility means you have to submit to God. That means you can't come up with your own plan. And so we look at a scripture and we understand that First Peter, if you look with me to First Peter chapter 5, 5 through 7, it says this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. So as a church, we are understanding to be ourselves subject to the elders because God has appointed the elders in a position and they're submitted to God and we're to submit to God and the authority that he's placed in front of us. So he's calling on people of God to just simply humble themselves. But he goes on, he says this, clothing yourselves. So the idea is that it's not like you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you're humble. It takes time. It takes effort. You have to be intentional. You have to work through struggles and tension and, and difficulties because it's not natural to be humble. It's challenging. And clothing yourself as you're putting it on, you know your position before God and who he has established over you. And we understand that. And so then he goes on to say this, with humility toward one another. When we submit ourselves and clothe ourselves with humility, then we can be humble toward each other, recognizing our positioning. That before God, then in our marriages, we understand created order. And God says this, I oppose the proud, those who are rebellious against me, but I give grace to the humble, those who submit to me. So it's important to understand that with humility that we are to submit. Now, when Peter was speaking this, he was speaking in context because Nero, the emperor, was killing Christians for just being Christians. So they were angry. They were frustrated. They were angry with God. And they just said, God, why are you doing this? But God's saying, submit to me. Trust that I have this under my hand. I'm in control. I'm sovereign God. So he goes on to say in verse 6, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So he repeats that by saying, be humble. And then he goes on to saying, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Transferring. You know the word, you know, the word right there, casting, means to transfer your uh, concerns. So if you're concerned, overwhelmed with your finances, overwhelmed with the panic that's going on in our society right now, because it is a serious situation, but yet sometimes it can be overly serious if we're constantly, constantly looking at the media but if you're concerned today, transfer your concerns to God. It's simply saying, God, here's my finances. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this marriage. I don't know how to communicate with my husband. I don't know how to communicate with my wife. I would love to be more intimate with my wife, whether it be physical or just being able to spend time with her. But you have to transfer this concern to God, casting it. Sometimes we worry, we're fearful, but we don't do anything with it. We just hold on to it. God's saying, position yourself to transfer it over. It's important for us to gather that as well. So next thing we want to do is we want to be on guard. You want to be on guard. It says here in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, be sober-minded meaning sound mind, sound in doctrine, sound in your mind, sound in your heart. Be watchful. Here we go. Be, guard, be on guard. Be watchful. Why? Why should we be sober and be ready? Because the adversary, the one who brings a charge against you and I, he is the one 
who wants to bring forth, and he's going to prowl around like a roaring lion. Prowling around like a roaring lion. It's important to understand that when he's doing that, he's looking for an opportunity to destroy your marriage. He's looking for an opportunity to destroy your witness, your light to a friend. He's looking for that opportunity to destroy everything about you. And all he has to do is just in a little way. He could do it in that little sneak attack. It doesn't have to be a frontal assault. It could just be a sneak attack. And it could be so subtle. Because if he could just get us off just a little bit and be distracted, that's all he has to do. See, it's not as though it's some kind of an event. It's a pattern. It's a process. And he'll do it because he hates God. He hates Christ. He hates the gospel. He hates the people of God. And he hates your marriages. And he doesn't want you or your spouse to become together as one. Because God created the family. He created the marriage for that purpose. And that's why we have to be on guard. Because he wants to devour. He wants to destroy us completely. See, Satan is that way. See, he'll get it to you. You know what? Here's the way he does it. You and I will have marriages. And we'll say, I'm married. It's okay. I mean, you know, I'm not the greatest husband. But at least... I'm faithful, I go to work, I provide for my family, I'm a good guy overall, everybody loves me at work, until I get home and then my wife doesn't really like me so much and we don't get along as much, but we're still married, we're not getting divorced, we're committed to each other for the end, but you're really not being watchful, you're watching those TV shows, you're watching these attractive women, husband on TV, it's becoming a pattern, you're not guarding your marriage All of a sudden now, you're not guarding your time together. You're not giving her a special time. She's looking for attention. She's looking for intimacy. She's looking for connection. And you just go away and watch TV and get in your nothing box. But what happens is Satan loves that because that's half commitment to your marriage. That's what he loves. He loves half truths. He loves loves half commitments. And he'll do whatever he can and he'll sneak right in and destroy your marriage. And you and I won't even know it. I have to be honest. I've seen that in my own life. I've seen it where I've been married now for almost 23 years. And I've even spoken that and said, you know what? I'm still married. My wife, I know she loves me. I'm committed. I'm doing all I can to support my family. But is that what God intends for us? I mean, is that what God wants, a half commitment? Does God want us to live on half truths? (laughs) I mean, God's called us. If he's given us everything possible, then he's calling us to something else. He doesn't want us to just be married. He wants us to be intentional so we could be a light to a world that's dying to see a marriage that's strong. Because so often we're not committed. We allow intruders to come into our lives and we don't want God to come into our marriage. We don't even want our wives or our husbands to come into our marriage. And then we think it's okay to just be half committed. God's not called us to that. God has called us to a commitment. And we have to be willing to be intentional. That's why it's important for us That whenever we're going through a struggle in our marriage, whenever we're going through a struggle in that half commitment, we have to know that Satan's there and we have to guard ourselves. And that's why verse 9, it says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Yes, Peter was talking to the Christian who was being killed for the sake of Christ. But we have to do the same in our marriages as well. We have to resist him. We have to be firm in our faith. We have to be intentional. We have to be willing to say, knowing that God ultimately has our back. Be assured that God has your back. He he has your back. 
It says this in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, his calling, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's his work. When we're submissive, when we're surrendering, we're not proud, when we're humbling ourselves, when we're allowing God to do work, when we're transferring our concerns over to God, when we're not trying to take our concerns on our own, we're not trying to control our lives, we're not trying to think that we have, when we're fearful, we have to be in control, when we're worried, we don't have to be in control, we transfer them over to God because they're anxieties. See, it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to fear. Wife, it's okay. <laughs> Husbands, it's okay for your wives to fear. I struggle with that. When my wife gets fearful and worried, I'm just like, come on, get over it. But it's okay. That's when we build them up. And we know that it might just be a simple listening to. But we have to understand that God, we have to be assured that he's there for us. Lastly, this, protection. Building a castle around our hearts requires proper protection. You know, in our relationships, it's important to understand that there are two people in the marriage. Guarding love means you're guarding not only as God guards his love for us in Christ, but he's called us to be proactive and intentional to guard our spouses. Now, here's some ways in which we can guard our spouses, okay? For, why, you know, for wives, they're saying, wife, guard your husband by honoring, honoring him, Honoring him, honoring the person that he is, honoring who he is, get to know his personality, get to know his needs, get to understand that what we talked about last week, the importance that he wants unconditional love. He needs to know that when he fails, when he's not able to fulfill what he would ultimately would like to fulfill, that you come over and you just encourage him. Guard him, protect him, honor him, build him up, establish him, saying that it's okay. Because sometimes it's hard for us. You know, we were as little boys. I know Pastor Dennis and I, we talk a lot about sports. And, you know, we think about when I was a young person, I always dreamed I'd be a major league baseball player. I know it didn't happen, but I loved it. I loved the game. I loved the situational ball. We played every day, a couple times a day. Uh, you know, we would be on the streets. So we played tennis ball with the aluminum bat. We we tried to get some hardball in, and then I couldn't even play as a young boy. My father wouldn't let me, but I just loved the game, and I still love the game. And I always dreamed, man, it would be great. I have dreams at night. Sometimes I'm a Yankee baseball player that I'm at. Joe Girardi was my manager, and I was sitting there ready to go in. It was the funniest thing, and I'd sit there and go, I am in a dream, right? I mean, is this true? And I would sit there thinking it was real because I loved the game. And we dream like that. And we're like little boys, but we need to be encouraged. We need to know that we need to know that we're providing. We need to know that we're allowing for a safe environment in our homes. We make mistakes, but we need to be encouraged that it's okay. And sometimes wives need to put on their mother hats and just encourage us and build us up. Here's another way. You have to honor his friendships. Boys like to hang out with boys, you know. Men like to hang out with men. This is where we can just kind of get our testosterone jump. We just hang out with each other. We love to watch sports. We love to do different things. We like to hunt, to fish. I don't. But anyway, if you like to hunt and you like to fish, that's great. But when you're doing it, it's important for you to understand that sometimes the husband wants to get away, not because he doesn't want to be with you, but because he likes to hang out with the men. He needs that time. And sometimes it takes that willingness and sacrifice to guard your husband and to give him that time because it's vitally important for him to have his friendships. 
You know, ladies, you enjoy your friendships. We do too. In fact, the third most important need for us is companionship. And that is something that we enjoy. Also, always lift him up in his role as a husband, especially created order. God created him to lead. Encourage him to lead. Remember that God created you, wife, woman, to be the helper. And you have strength and honor to support your husband. He needs to know he's a leader in the home. He doesn't have to make all the decisions. He doesn't have to be Fred Flintstone or the Honeymooners, Ralph Cramden. But what he has to be is he has to be the one that knows that his wife is there and he's the leader and he's supported. Because as the helper, we know where there's a good man, there's a great woman. And that's the place where you can support your husband. Not resisting him, not fighting against him, not trying to be better than him, not trying to say I could be the leader in this home and jump up above him, but just encourage him, support him, build him up. And so it's important for you and I to understand that as, you know, that we have to protect one another. Now, husband, guard your wife. Now, how are we doing this? Now, I'm not going to beat you up, husbands, because I'm one of them. But uh, make time for her. We've understood that. We just went through the conference. We recognize that it's important. We know that uh, it's important for us to make time for her. It's hard for us. We love the task. We love our nothing box. We love to go on our own. We don't want to sit down. We need to get to the next task, as I mentioned last week. But making time with her is special and important to her. She needs that emotional intimacy, that friendship. She needs to know she has your undivided attention. Do we fail? Yes. Do I fail? Yes. Often, every day, I fail at this. But the wife, we have to work on it intentionally. We have to make sure. If you're not married, make sure you keep this. This is important. Listening to her, as we've been talking about that for a couple of weeks here. Remember, I know you're tempted to fix the problem. I don't know about you. Uh, I grew up with two older brothers. My mom was the only woman in the house, so we had a lot of testosterone in the house. But now there's estrogen in my house because I have four women and one son. So I have to be more sensitive. And one of the things I have to learn, and I'm using the word learn because it's a learning process, is to learn that I don't have to simply fix a problem my wife comes to me. I just have to listen to her. I just have to, you know, again, validate her feelings, understand the struggle of that. And it's important for us to gather that. So because if not, what happens is what may have happened with Shell. When she was disinterested at one point, it was a chore. She was disinterested, was caught off guard. She withdrew from the relationship and started something else. That's what happens with a woman. Sometimes that can happen. And so it's important for us to, men, we need to ask questions. How come you feel this way? Are you concerned that it will not turn out okay? How can I help you right now? Invite her to talk when you listen. I know it's difficult, but it's important. Also, lastly, leading her to Christ. Leading her to Christ. See, if you remember last week, spiritual intimacy was important for the woman. That was a need. It was five for us as men, but it was number three for women. And the greatest thing that a woman would love is to see her husband lead her to Christ, lead her to the Father. And how do we do that? We live an example. We spend time with her. We realize the importance of walking with Christ and being an example to her. And that's what we have to do. It's important for us to gather that up and realize that it's not half-hearted, half-committed. 
but an intentionality to lead by praying with her, encouraging her in scripture. Yes, I know, sometimes we fail, we're on task, but that's the part where we have to lead well. And so it's important for us to understand building that castle is clear. And this is why we think that guarding love is protecting your marriage by building a castle around your heart and the heart of your spouse. So we appreciate that you have joined us this week by Facebook Live. In our third week, we wanted to understand that that next step towards the dream is guarding love, guarding and protecting your heart, your spouse's heart, because it's important we understand the heart is the center. And so it's vitally important for us to carry on towards that dream. And I want to encourage you this week. There's been some things that have happened in, in light of these recent events. Pastor Dennis made some important statements to you, Grace Church, and we just want to um, reiterate them today. We recognize that um, both the world, the United States included, with the president's state of emergency, with Maryland and the state making some prohibitions and banning and gathering together, we're offering this to you today for that purpose. And there has been some fear, worry, concern that one could attract um, this particular virus. And we have to be careful in spending too much time or distancing ourselves, being careful to make sure we wash our hands and all. But sometimes we can get ourselves to a place where we're fearful and worried and consumed. And I want you to know it's okay that you can be rest assured that God is in control. There's no mistakes with God. God is not surprised by this. He's in control. He's sovereign. We understand that. And we just wanted to remind you today, it's important that if God is able to part the Red Sea, then and he can make the sun to stand still, then it's going to be okay. <laughs> and that God is going to get us through this, and we're going to get through this in the next couple of weeks or so. But right now, I want to encourage you to just trust in the Lord, rest in the Lord Use this time wisely um, to make sure uh, that you are reaching and meeting a need. Let me just mention something else, too, with reference to giving, as Pastor Dennis already mentioned. Remember that when you give, let's just continue, as he mentioned, that we're going to continue as staff working here in the next couple of weeks. To just remember that when you give, continue to give, because when you give, you're trusting God. When you give, you're inviting him for a blessing in your life. But you're also um, investing in the kingdom of God. That's why we exist as a church. It is not a, a building that makes the church. It's the people. And as we continue in the next few weeks, make sure that you understand that by inviting God for a blessing, investing in his ministry, that ultimately we're on his itinerary. We're not on our plan, we're on his plan. It's his kingdom, his church, his gospel, his truth. And that's why we exist. So we just want to encourage you to do so, continue to give. Lastly, I just want to encourage you this week, while you're home, your kids are home, they canceled school, canceled some you know, events, they canceled MLB, which is, I know it's probably upsetting a lot of people here, NBA, NHL, all gatherings, concerts and all, but always, and flights as well. But remember this, God never cancels his love for us. So remember that. Remember that his mercy and his grace continues through all of this. So keep in mind, 
that as you're working throughout the week, maybe this is an opportunity for you to meet a need in your neighborhood. Maybe it's an opportunity to speak to your neighbor for once. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to just take an opportunity and chill and pray for your neighbor and go over there and say hello to them. Yeah, keep a distance, but say hello to them. And then through it, we can be rest assured as Grace Church, we're going to move forward because God is in control. Let me take a moment and let's pray. Father, we're so grateful today that you have allowed technology that we can meet with our people today. We're so grateful that you've given us this technology through Facebook Live that they could see us today and be encouraged, that they were able to experience an actual gathering today and that they're able to sit in their homes. I pray that this week, Lord, that you would encourage us to rest, encourage us to trust in you, encourage us to move forward in life, encourage us to meet a need in our neighborhood, in our community, to say hello to a neighbor nearby, to pray for them, to pray for our church. We as a staff will continue. But Lord God, I pray that our people, and all over the United States, all the churches that have to use this venue to communicate with the people of God, I pray your blessing this week. Pray for your encouragement, and I pray that you would build us up. And Lord, I pray that through this all, that you would be honored and glorified in our lives. Lord, may we stand out as a beacon, as a light to the world right now as your people. May they see a rest, a trust, and a hope in you this week. God, may you be glorified as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today.